Um, we're here to interview Joanne Poole, Dr. Joanne Poole from the University of Sussex about her recent book, um, Council and Command in Early, Early Modern English Thought, which came out about a month ago uh, with the series Ideas in Context, published with Cambridge University Press. Um, I'm Ian McDaniel, also from the University of Sussex. Uh, we'll just get right down to the interview. So Joanne, can you just start off by telling us a bit about what led you to write the book? Certainly. Uh, yes. Well, this this book initially came out of my PhD, uh, which I completed at Queen Mary University of London some years ago um, under the supervision of Professor Quentin Skinner. Um, and sort of the preliminary for it did come out of some of the work that I did uh, for my MA. Um, I was very interested in sort of um, the middling people in politics, um, you know, not the sovereigns, not the subjects, but the people sort of in between. Um, and so when I initially met with um, Professor Skinner, um, we talked about two figures that we could think about. Um, one uh, was the counselor, the other was the ambassador. Um, and there's a lot to be said for that latter one, um, especially around themes of uh, representation. Um, but I was really interested in the counselor figure. There'd been some work done on council um, previously, going back to even the 1960s um, and Arthur Ferguson's work. Um, but uh, a lot of it had been sort of preliminary, uh, limited to articles and chapters. Um, and I really wanted to think about um, what council was, um, who the counselor was meant to be, um, because this figure was was so um, central uh, to sort of Renaissance, early modern thought, um, you really can't pick up a book about politics um, in this period and, and, and there not be um, at least a chapter on council, um, if not the entire book being about council and being a form of council. Mm -hmm. um, so for the fact that it was so central, it seemed to me at least that there was very little work done on it. Right. That's great. Um, I, I'm actually going to go off piste already uh, <laughs> about the figure of the councillor. And it sort of strikes me that, that, that that's a way into sort of connecting up ideas about politics and sort of traditional areas of intellectual history with also uh, the practice of politics. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the councillor very much sits at that nexus. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's interesting about it is, as well is, is the councillor becomes um, the, the, the sort of the seat of, of a sense of, of political agency. Um, that's the way that people can um, intervene in politics is through council, especially in um, the context that I'm looking at, which is um, monarchical. But um, the people that um, are, are writing often have a sort of Republican or pseudo-Republican bent. Um, so the, the councillor becomes the place where you can have sort of political agency um, and council becomes the way that you can intervene in politics. Right. That's really, really interesting. Um, was, was there anything that really surprised you when you were um, conducting the research for the, for the book, Joe? I have to say, actually, the main the main theme of the book, the main argument of the book about um, this relationship between council um, and the sense of sort of sovereignty or or commands um, was was really what struck me sort of as I came to the end of the PhD um, 
that uh, for those of us who have have read Hobbes, um, which is probably going to be most of the people listening to this, um, we know that um, there's a very important chapter in Leviathan about the relationship between counsel and commands, um, which I always, you know, knew I'd sort of come to at the end. Um, but but looking at that and sort of looking back, I realized that that discussion was certainly not new to Hobbes um, and was running throughout uh, the 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 texts that I had looked at. And really goes back to to the earliest sort of um, political writings we have from from the Greeks in the Western tradition, um, and this tenuous, very difficult, um, but uh, but sort of um, uh, forever tied together relationship um, between counsel um, and 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 sovereignty and command. Um, this idea that they they have to go together and yet can't. Um, was I think really the thing that that struck me, and and it was just fortuitous that I had happened to name name it from the beginning. Counsel and command. Um, this this relationship became so central to what I was saying. Right, right. Could could you say a bit more about the way about about the argument um, of the book? I mean, your your introduction very nicely sort of sets out how you talk about this this shift that's going on from the monarchy of council to sort of modern concepts of sovereignty. And that, se that seems to me to be one of the main kind of hooks of the book. Could you maybe say a bit more about that? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a sort of, there is a sort of story to this this book. Um, we, are, we are noticing a, a change as we go through. Um, the argument essentially is that we can't understand the foundations of a modern uh, discourse of politics centered on sovereignty unless we understand the role that council um, played in a sort of previous discourse, but also then in the generation of, of um, this, this theory of sovereignty, that when we take into account um, the tension between council and command, um, and, and that is essentially, um, if, if you um, expect your council to be followed, then really isn't it command? And if you don't expect it to be followed, then what's the point of it anyway? And command trumps it. Um, and so this, this, this difficulty, this sort of paradox of counsel means that we end up looking at sovereignty. Um, and that's what really the thinkers um, in the context of the English Civil War come to, um, is that actually the, the discourse of counsel, the tension that is, is within it means we end up sliding into sovereignty, whether we, we take counsel to be um, uh, obligatory um, as as sort of the parliamentarians do, and therefore, well, council becomes command, or we say that sovereignty has to be the absolute, and and council can't intervene with that. Well, then, and that's the sort of royalist um, and, and a very Hobbesian point of view. Well, then, then sovereignty is is central, and so council sort of slips away. Um, but you don't get there without understanding that previous um, uh, debate about detention and counsel and command. Right. Um, right. Uh, do, you, do you want to say a bit about how you see the book um, participating or intervening in, in the wider field? Yeah, I, hopefully it, it makes several interventions and hopefully it makes ones that um, I'm, I'm completely unaware of. Um, that's, that's always the, the joy of, of putting some research out there. Um, certainly, I'm, I'm hoping that it provides um, this background to um, the, the theory of sovereignty, um, that we start to understand the role that council plays in, in politics, both, both potentially then and, and now. 
Um, there's also quite a bit in this book um, about rhetoric um, and the role that rhetoric, that, that sort of um, articulated interventions um, make in politics, that's not just all institutions, um, which I think is, is um, potentially important and interesting. Uh, one of the things that's quite central in this book as well is um, the role of uh, a concept of time, of, of uh, the opportune moment or, or kairos, um, which I've written about separately. Um, and actually, perhaps this is another surprising thing, is, is incredibly central um, to the discourse of council in the period that I'm looking at, um, that the councillor uh, is, is the one who's is most concerned about this opportune moment. Um, and, and you see that sort of story through the book as well. Um, so hopefully that opens up um, some discussion around uh, ideas of time and the history of political thought. Uh, <clears throat> The, the, other, the other issue which seems to connect up to time is the centrality of Machiavelli in the book. Yes. And these English Machiavellians and the way that the English uh, political theorists um, of the period interpreted Machiavelli in the context of this debate about counsel. Uh, it seemed that Machiavelli was quite a significant figure in the story. I just wondered if you could say a bit more about his role and what, what, he, what role he plays in the, in the argument. Absolutely. I mean, this book is is essentially it's in three parts, um, and the first gives um, what I sort of call it a traditional or an orthodox humanist understanding of counsel, um, which is that um, it is is meant to lead the prince um, to virtue in order to um, preserve um, good government, roughly speaking, and and that rhetoric is is very important in, in sort of leading the prince that the the, the counselor has to lead the prince, um, guide the prince, even govern the prince. Uh, to virtue. And then that's entirely overturned by Machiavelli um, and the Machiavellians. Um, and so um, he plays a very, very pivotal role in this book um, and, and in, the, in the history of council um, because uh, he, he challenges that view and really um, starts, he, he, he sort of lights the fire under, under that inherent tension that exists, um, as I said, between council and commands. Um, the, the sort of traditional humanists are very happy to say, yes, council should should lead, should rule. Um, they have no problem with the idea that the council, yeah, might mutate into command sometimes. You know, that's that's kind of okay. Um, yeah. Machiavelli not only challenges that, but the presence of Machiavelli challenges that because then you have concerns about Machiavellian counselors who are just doing everything for their own interests. Um, so in some ways, it's almost a, a catalyst um, to the tensions that exist um, in, in that sort of paradox of counsel. Mm -hmm. um, Machiavelli is obviously a figure who in some ways... Uh sits rather uneasily with Thomas More, um, about whom you published a book, I think a couple of years ago now, maybe two or three years ago. Um, yeah. Could you say something about how the recent uh, CUP book fits in with work that you'd already done and your, your existing interest in, in Thomas More? Yeah, um, I mean, it's um, the, the Thomas More book. So I, I did the PhD, which was on Roughly this, though the PhD looks in the end nothing like the book that was actually published, um, and 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 then took a break sort of from council in a way, and and wrote the book on Thomas More, and then and then came back to this. Um, and in in some ways, uh, this the, the book that's been published is so different from the PhD because I took that time 
um, to read everything that Thomas More had ever written um, and and to sort of think deeply about him. And it's quite funny when I first sent in the proposal for this book, um, the uh, the anonymous uh, readers reports came back and said there really should be more Thomas More in this book and I went okay um, sure I can do that um, and uh, he is a very pivotal figure in this of course um, not just with Utopia um, of course Utopia very famously in book one um, has the dialogue of council um, which highlights the problem of council um, very very clearly um, and uh, inspired that that phrasing um, in in the historiography um, the problem of counsel um, but in in many of his other works as well um, the the history of King Richard III um, which is often overlooked is a book about um, counsel in in many ways um, and so um, yeah he he epitomizes in many ways that sort of traditional um, humanist response to counsel uh, alongside Erasmus. Um, but what's really interesting is the sort of generation after him, um, the people who we hear about less, um, Thomas Eliot, Thomas Starkey, um, yeah. who think about it even more deeply um, and who especially bring in this, this issue around right timing, um, which I think is very interesting. Um, great. Uh, th this question, you, you may already have answered this to some extent, but um, could you say something about what you expect readers or students um, might find in the book that will be of interest or significant for them? Yeah, um, I mean, certainly, um, you know, I hate to say it's it's all just sort of a background or a footnote to Hobbes, um, but I, I do want, you know, we, we especially students, you know, um, of this period, um, they might read Thomas More in Utopia, they'll probably read Machiavelli, and they'll almost certainly read Hobbes's Leviathan. Mm. Um, and it would be lovely if, if, in reading this book, they were able to sort of fill in some of the conversation between those points, um, and and to understand um, the 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 intervention that these sort of major players were making in conversations that were ongoing. Um, so that that would be one thing. The other would be, I think, um, thinking about um, time, concepts of time and, and, and temporality um, in politics. Um, and I guess the other thing would be <sighs> council um, in some ways is a difficult thing to 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 um, write about, to think about, um, because uh, in, in some cases we have it in print, um, you know. Machiavelli as the Prince is, is an example of, of political counsel and, and we have it and we can hold it. Um, but in other ways, it's very ephemeral. Um, it's it's the, the spoken word. Um, and so it is it is difficult um, to to try to think about and, and to write about and to research. Um, but I, I would just I hope that doesn't stop us um, because as uh, historians of, of political thought, as as intellectual historians, um, print and, and even manuscript can only get us so far. Um, mm -hmm. We do have to think about um, the sort of uh, discursive, uh, the, the actual articulated um, discussions um, that, that are going on around the concepts that we study. Um, right. And so it, it would, yes, I, I would love to see sort of more thought around that. Um, and, and just the idea that, that we have to take that into account. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um... The, the one thing that struck me as I was reading the book is that these, this theme of counsel and command really doesn't seem to go away. Um, and obviously, we're no longer living in early modern England, but, you know, the, this tension between sort of giving advice, uh, 
maybe sort of themes of knowledge or even science and the tensions with that and with political decision making seem to be very much um, still with us. So I was just wondering if the book, as you were writing the book, whether any of those kind of more, more contemporary discussions sort of fed into, the, into your thinking or if, um, any of the, if you have anything to say really about the way in which that theme is still significant today. Yeah, I, I can't say it, it, it consciously fed into my thinking about the book, but I think my thinking about the book has uh, changed how I'm, I'm looking at, at certain political situations uh, today. Um, and, and certainly, I, 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 yeah, I can't seem to escape um, the idea of counsel. And I, I, I don't know if it's becoming slightly more prominent or I'm just slightly more aware of it, but we do seem to be re reaching a slight crisis point around the idea of counsel, um, whether it's, you know, we, we have no need for experts anymore or certain advisor figures who have taken on a more prominent role um, and, and have a lot of suspicion thrust upon them. Very interestingly, a lot of the suspicion is expressed in ways that would have been very familiar to Renaissance writers as well. Um, um, so I think part of that crisis is, is coming from actually what I talk about at the end of this book, which is that um, counsel is sort of relegated to the shadows. Um, counselors, advisors, um, special advisors um, in particular have been referred to, and this is um, Dr. Andrew Blick, as, as the people who live in the dark, who operate in the dark, um, who um, are essentially sort of in the shadows. We don't have a, a, a place for them anymore. Um, we focused on sovereignty, we focused on institutions, and, and these people who sort of don't fit in with that, um, don't, we, we, we conceptually struggle to figure out where they go. And so we don't really think about them, we don't focus on them. Um, and that makes things um, occasionally unexpected. Um, you know, they, to take an example, um, the result of, of the Brexit referendum, no matter how you felt about it um, to a great many people, it was surprising. And one of the things we're learning now is, well, actually, if you'd looked at the councillors, if you'd look at the advisors, it maybe wouldn't have been as surprising. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this this has happened a number of times now. Um, so hopefully we're, we're coming to a place where we can start to think about and analyze the role of council a little bit more because it will help us understand politics and potentially help us understand ways in which to go back to that agency point, we can intervene in politics um, in different ways. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really fascinating. It's very interesting. Um, uh, I guess just finally, uh, Joanne, did you, would you like to say something about what you're working on now and perhaps, um, yeah, your future work more generally? Yeah, um, I haven't, I have some ideas for sort of the next big project, um, but in the intervening time, I'm working on doing um, two critical editions of, of some texts. Um, really sort of, um, it's, it's a wonderful exercise um, to work that closely with a text. Um, you know, when we're reading to, to write a book about like this, um, which is especially, you know, this is very survey, it covers um, about 150. Um, you know, we, we read through and, and we tend to sort of skim for the concepts that we need. Um, but to really, really think about every word in a text is a really interesting exercise. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm doing that for two um, Renaissance texts at the moment. And then um, the, the, the big project I've been sort of chewing on and 
on the horizon is is a project on Kairos on the opportune moment um, because as I sort of uh, make indications towards in the book um, it has a very important role to play um, in not only theories of sovereignty um, but in ideas of the state as well um, and Professor Skinner has also um, made some um, indications towards that as well so I think that that's Hopefully, the next sort of big um, frontier is is to think about concepts of temporality and uh, how they interact with the political concepts that we think we understand. Right, right. That sounds really wonderful. Um, sure, we're all looking forward to that, Joe. Uh, okay, great. So um, I guess we'll we'll close there. Um, so so thanks very much uh, Thank for, you. for agreeing to do the interview. Yeah, this was brilliant. Uh, it's a really nice opportunity uh, to, to talk about this. So thank you very much.